When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Jan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from RebeccaDrives.com. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We've got a few things to talk about. Sam, you drove the uh, new Ford Explorer, so that's exciting. Um, Rebecca, we've got some some fun uh, stuff you've been driving as well. Yes. Uh, so let's just get to let's get to that. And I think that's probably like the flagship topic because I, I know I haven't had a car that cool, and I don't think Sam's car was that cool. But you've been in the NSX. My car was absolutely as cool. <laughs> oh, well, well, all right. Well, do you guys want to draw straws? To- <laughs> no, you, you go first, Rebecca. <laughs> all right. So, had, uh, so this week, it was a lot of fun because I had what I consider the two extremes of the automotive world. I had the 2019 Acura NSX at a starting price of the one that I had started at 157, 157,000. And it had two options on it. One was a $10,600 brakes and caliper option. And then the other, a carbon fiber. And then the other one was a, uh, a, a carbon fiber spoiler uh, that also goes for a, around $10,000. And this thing was just absolutely fabulous. So I had a car that had $20,000 worth of options on it. And I also had the 2020 Kia Soul that retails for $21,000. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, you had a Kia Soul and, worth of options. And I, think, and, and I had the Soul, and I, I would say it is just as cool in its own way as the NSX. I, I so I, I really love the Soul, and this is the new one, right? It's been redesigned. It yeah. has been redesigned, yes. But, yeah. but let's, let's talk NSX first. Yeah, so this NSX, this is the third time I've had the privilege of driving it, and I do consider it a privilege because – it's a really special car. I actually got to drive the original one, the 1996 one, with a manual transmission uh, back in October when Acura was kind enough to bring me to the factory in Ohio. And that was really, really cool as well. This, the new NSX, built in Ohio, built to specs. They built about 1,400 of them so far. It's just an incredible machine. And what I loved about it was that, you know, I had it on the track in Ohio definitely made me a better driver it just it, it was just an incredible incredible handling vehicle it's so wide that it just tracks to the ground and sticks like like nothing else and you can dive into the curves and it's 
it, it welcomes you in there and it just makes you a better driver. I think that what was interesting to have one here at home then for a few days was how was it to just kind of drive around? Was yeah, it- I was going to say, what do you do in Greenwich with it? Like. You get, a, you get a lot of looks in Greenwich is what you do. <laughs> well, so I guess Greenwich, too, like because because it's Greenwich, like there's Ferraris and other sure. high end stuff around there on a regular basis. There is. But it but it did not mean that people didn't make comments. One guy stuck his camera out of his car. Another guy stopped me at a traffic light. And literally every neighbor, every male neighbor that has my phone number or email or some <laughs> other way to get in touch with me, got in touch with me. <laughs> and of course, the way that uh, the way the, the where it was parked, my lower driveway, everybody could see it. And it just looked fantastic. And I'll send you guys some pictures so you can post it because it, it just looked it, yeah. gorge- it was gorgeous. It, it yeah. did look good. And the, the, the picture I saw. So the one you had was red. Um, yes. Which, you know, th- there's other standout colors. <laughs> Uh, and I actually feel like it, it blends in a little bit in red, but I don't really think an NSX blends in at all. But it, it, it doesn't. It's just a, it's a really, really dramatic looking vehicle. Beautifully done. They managed to make it with this sort of elegant ferocity to it that was is just it's incredible. The exhaust note is fantastic. And it has this really cute thing. They call it the quiet mode. I call it the neighborhood mode. But it's, you know, under about like 15 miles an hour. So you don't wake up the neighbors, you can kind of get out, you know, and kind of crawl along until you can really let it explode. (laughs) But you know, whether it's in sport or sport plus the exhaust note is fantastic on it. It was just it was just a lot of fun to drive my uh, my next door neighbor actually used to be an SCCA race car driver. And so we went for a drive. I, I couldn't let him drive, obviously. But, you know, even he said, I just, it, 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 the way it downshifts, it upshifts, it rumbles. It was just really, really fantastic. And another neighbor who grew up here, he and I went for a spin and he's, he, we went all over Greenwich and he was pointing out where Mary Tyler Moore used to live. He was telling me about bad divorces, houses that were, were that were <laughs> empty. I was getting like the full scoop as we drove around in this thing. But probably one of my most fun activities with the vehicle was sitting in what is called the pickup line at my niece's uh, junior high or, or middle school. And, you know, just surrounded by these really bland vanilla SUVs and then. Right. Bland vanilla in. SUVs for, for Greenwich. So like a lot of Range Rovers, some G wagons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't actually, make them any less bland than vanilla. It, All right. Exactly. Vanilla is actually rather exotic. So we, okay. we, you know, we drove around <laughs> after school and, you know, this is a girl who's really never shown a lot of interest in cars, but even she admitted that she had a lot of fun and the Acura NSX could convert her into a car (laughs) girl. So I said to her, I said, you know, so tell me a little bit about like, what are some cars? Because my sister actually said, her mom actually said that she does point out like, oh, that's a Tesla. That's a Porsche. Like she just, she definitely has that same eye that I do where every car looks different and you can see, you know, you can appreciate the differences. So I just said to her, I said, so Avery, you know what, what kind of cars do you like? Like, you know, she's going to be driving in five years. What are you thinking? And she said, well, actually, she goes, I really like the Kia Soul. <laughs> I huh. said, do nice. you really? I said, well, that's really funny because I've got one of those as well. So it was it was just it was really a privilege to drive the NSX. And 
uh, you know, for under a hundred and I mean, really for a hundred under one hundred eighty thousand dollars, it's a really, really special. It's a special vehicle. Well, see, yeah, that's, you can get twenty grand off on a twenty nineteen model right now until they're can you really? Yeah, <laughs> they've got money on the hood. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, but it's the thing is too, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars under one hundred and eighty, like you said, like that sounds expensive, but it's when you compare the NSX and this was always the way the NSX was. I mean, certainly the original was not quite as proportionally expensive as this one is. Um, but it, you know, it was still a bargain and it's, that's the car that gave us the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis that we have today because it put everybody on notice. It was, it was, right. it was, yeah, it, 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 it was, it was the, the original NSX was the car that demonstrated that you could build a supercar that could also be an everyday driver right. you know, that could be reliable and, you know, let you see out of it and be comfortable. You didn't you didn't have to be tortured to drive a supercar. And today they're all like that because of right. Acura. Right. Well, it was it was basically like the 308 or, or, you know, whatever, the, the 348 or something. But, you know, take take a Ferrari of that time and uh, build it like an Accord. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's essentially what it was, and you know had that aluminum structure, so it was innovative. And this one is no less innovative. You know the the, the new NSX it's actually a hybrid. Um, so it's funny you talk about the engine note, but it's got that that electric motor sandwiched in there. It does. And so it's, well, it's really actually got quiet. three electric motors. It's yeah. got all those electric motors sandwiched yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, but it's very quiet. I mean, that's what's kind of funny about it is that it can be really quiet. So I I, I had to go down to New Jersey, so I drove it down to Jersey and drove it to CNBC and oh, they crawled man. all over it for a little while. But it was funny because then as I left, you know, leaving CNBC, it was quiet until I got it out onto the highway. And and I actually, after I drove my niece around then, I did, I ran errands in it. And <laughs> and I just, I couldn't believe, like I felt a little ridiculous. And at the same time, it was really fantastic. One of the biggest differences from the original, also from a storage standpoint, is that there really isn't a lot of room in the back, you know, like for for a weekend away or, or certainly not the two golf club standard, two golf club bags standard that they had in the first one. But, you know, nowadays everyone has an SUV anyway, so you don't need well, that. You, it's just, it was just a really, you know, it was a really special vehicle, 3.5 liter V6 engine, you know, it's twin turbocharged. And, and it was just, it was great. And I turned up the ELS sound system in it that just blasted it out. And it was yeah. just, it was, it was tons of fun. That, yeah. I, I had the opportunity to drive the NSX a couple of times, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, when it first came out, and you know, I, I drove it at the uh, at Milan Dragway here. Honda did a little demo to to show off how the the launch control system works, and then a couple of months later, I had a chance to spend a few days with it at home, and you know, it it is a phenomenal car, uh, you know, in in every way. the The only thing you know that I would like to have in it is a manual transmission, but uh. you know. Yes. It, well, it's 2019. What are you going to do? It, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a couple things that I that I was disappointed about. I think that I wish they had a manual also. It's just the paddle shifters are fine. But as I said, my SCCA driving neighbor, I said to him, you know, I don't use the paddle shifters enough because I never use paddle shifters. It's just not as satisfying. I said, exactly. But I was I was a little I was very surprised by the uh, the telematics, the infotainment system was really antiquated. I mean, it's just, well, it was it's, it's, 
just it's bad. Str- it's straight out of a Honda Civic. It, it is. It's, and, it's, and it's, it's shocking. The exact, it's the exact same head unit that's in my wife's Civic. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. So and, because and it's some, the NSX, is it going to be sort of behind all the other Hondas to actually get that upgrade too? Well, you know, it, the that head unit, it does have support for Android Auto and CarPlay. It does. Um, you know, and, and frankly... You know, the thing sounds so good. Just turn off the radio, roll down the windows, and, you know, <laughs> forget about it. I don't think the radio is really the issue, though. I think it's more of the other stuff you're doing with the infotainment that is really cumbersome, right? Is that sort of what you're getting at, Rebecca? Well, so we so we actually, uh, my, my nephew and I went out for a drive in it, and we got lost because we were really, like, out in la-la land. And so we tried, we actually had to, we ended up having to pull over because the voice recognition was so bad in it that we just had to stop and put our address into it. <laughs> and, you know, at first we were like, oh, let's just use, you know, uh, the Android Auto. But I, I, I was like, no, we're going to stop and we're going to figure this thing out. Uh, and I have to give a shout out to my friend Elliot, who designed the ELS system. So Elliot Shiner. Oh, uh, your you know, friend, so, your, your friend, Elliot. Yes, yeah, my friend. I've known him since I was 18 years old. Really? He he actually gave me a really awesome interview that I'm still like lagging on um, oh, actually uh, getting transcribed and turned into a, a little bit of a feature because uh the the ELS system uh, and I know his like I know his history having been a uh, audio post production engineer for for years so you know I heard those systems and I think I heard it in the TLX and I was like this is a really yes. great audio system you can just you can turn the knob all the way over <laughs> and it, it's just you know a lot of systems that if you know what you're listening for, you start to hear distortion. You start to hear you're pushing the amplifiers too hard and stuff. And nope, <laughs> it's just it, it sounds really good. And you can just turn it all like way the hell up. Yeah. And so uh, he and some engineers from Panasonic who make that system actually um, talked to me about it and and just some of the tricks that that went into it. And it was just it was great to talk to him. I mean, his name's all over a bunch of uh, classic releases and and the stories. Has he told you some of the stories from uh, from the studio? He worked at. Um, it was. It wasn't radio recorders. It was. Uh, I forget. But the, I the know stu- I should know, but I yeah, don't. The, the I, studio that he worked at in uh, New York uh, was was legendary. He worked with guys like Phil Ramone and stuff. Who who just uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> Some yeah, of and the Eagles make- and Jimmy Buffett yeah. and Beyonce and yeah, it kind of goes on and on. So he and my two brothers actually own a, a college league baseball team together called the Bristol Blues. Oh, in Bristol, cool. Connecticut, where ESPN is located. And so, yeah, so Els, uh, you know, it's always fun to, I didn't get a chance to see him with this, with the NSX, because I only had it for a few days. But um, yeah, so so it's it's a great sound system as well. And I just think that there's, I also wish the materials, uh, particularly the center console, I just wish they were upgraded a little bit. You know, it just, again, this is a luxury vehicle. This is a, it's really, it's a, it's, it's a vehicle that deserves a little bit better. I know that's not why people buy it. I get it. Uh, but it was just a little, a little s- sparse. Well, you got to save money somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly, I would certainly still buy one because it's just, an, it's an incredible, incredibly fun vehicle to drive around in. And uh, whether you're running errands or you're able to open it up a little bit. Uh, it's just, it's really well built. It's really, it's well done. So I'm glad it's back. Yeah. One of, one of the cool things about it is the, uh, 
you know, because it's a hybrid and it's got those three electric motors, it's two on the front, you know, to do torque vectoring on the front axle and one in the back. When you do the launch control on there for, you know, to accelerate away, it launches with the electric motors so that, you know, there's no lag and, you know, no, no, no dropping the clutch or anything like that. It, it launches on the electric motors and, you know, at the same time, the clutch is feeding in the engine. And so you just get this amazing acceleration off the line. Yes, we did launch control in Ohio, but they didn't do they didn't let us do very many. I could have done them all day. But no, you're absolutely <laughs> right, Sam. The, the torque is instant. It's just that hybrid is it just adds such a modern dimension to the vehicle that's really unexpected uh, and and just makes it that much better. It was really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you didn't stop at the bottom of every ramp for 95 and just, I, just I know. launch it. I know. <laughs> We did have a little rain. It always gets more interesting in the rain. Yeah. Hell, you got four-wheel drive, though. It's it's interesting that they they launch it on the electric motors because I think that that's that's probably a lot more controllable. You can get it right up to the edge of adhesion because you just – Plus you you have more more torque right at zero – you have all that torque right at zero RPM. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the more I I look at the NSX and I read about it and – I haven't driven it, <clears throat> Honda, uh, but <laughs> it's just, it's one of those cars where like when we first heard about it, we we're like, oh, it's going to be a V10. And then it's like, oh, nope, it's going to be a hybrid, uh, hybrid. But it's, it's really, it, it took this car long enough to get here and you just look at it and you go, I mean, it's just a fantastic jewel of engineering. Uh, and it's very much like the Ford GT in that sense too. Like how many times have we had a Ford GT revival now? And it's just the same kind of thing. It's, it's that sort of flagship car for the manufacturer and it really lives up to it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys have gotten a chance to drive it. Did you, Rebecca, when you were in Ohio, did you get to uh, tour the, um, the factory? Yes, we did. that, That is pretty cool. The way they build those. It's amazing how they build it. They're, it's really, really well done. And if if any of our listeners have the opportunity, definitely recommend a factory tour. All right. Well, uh, let's let's sort of take it down a rung. And <laughs> since both of you guys had the uh, the Kia Soul, I'd love to hear more about that because that is absolutely one of my favorite cars. I recommend it to people. Um, I I love driving it. It's just this friendly little box of an econo car uh, <laughs> well, you know the, the the fun thing about the soul uh you know i mean there's lots of fun things about the soul but uh, you know back about a decade ago you know there were all these box cars coming to market you had the nissan cube the the scion xb and the Both soul of those sucked <laughs> and, yeah and you know the soul was the only one that survived you know in part because you know, it was the only one that was actually a decent car you know yeah, the other two were were pretty bad cars yeah i mean i hated hated the second generation xb like ask yeah. oh, next time was, you see chris shunk ask him because i did not shut up about that for like a year oh, um, no. and the, the cube was okay but it just it was kind of funky um but the Soul, even the very first Soul I drive that had a four-speed automatic and was relatively <laughs> basic, it just had this demeanor about it. It, it was just – I don't know. It's just something about it. It's, it's managed to hang on to it. It's like this, this perky, friendly car to the point where um, – I, I forget where I had to fly, but they were going to give me a, a, a Fiesta. And I was like, nope. 
what else you got? And they were like, well, we have a soul. I was like, absolutely. I'll take the soul. I'll happily take the soul. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like just a fun little cheerleader that like just is always with you. Like I have to say that, I mean, it was so dramatic going from something like the NSX to this, that when I first got in, I'm like, first of all, the steering wheel is enormous compared to, and on the NSX, it was so cool to have the flat steering wheel on the top and the bottom. That really was a I loved I love that steering wheel. But yes, yeah, so I got in it. And so I was calling my sister and she goes, so how is it? And I said, well, it's sort of like driving an ice cream truck. Like all of a sudden I'm sitting <laughs> up really high. I've got this big steering wheel. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like I, I'm like I, I'm going to have kids running after me any minute now. <laughs> but yeah. I, but I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And, you know, Kia debuted this new soul at the LA Auto Show last November. And, <clears throat> you know, this time around, you know, they changed the powertrains in it. Um, you know, there's there's still there's a new electric version, which I haven't driven yet, which is a 240 mile range. But the the base engine in this thing now is a, um, the Hyundai Kia two liter uh, naturally aspirated four cylinder. Yeah, it's only 147 horsepower, which doesn't sound like much. But, it, you know, it's it's actually surprisingly strong in this thing. I mean, you know, the car doesn't weigh that much either. Yeah. And and they dropped the you know conventional automatic for a CVT this time. But even that, you can't really tell it's a CVT the way it's calibrated, the way it behaves. You know, and yeah. and the you know the, this the sole you know this time around you know they they changed the design a little bit. It's still the same basic shape. I mean, you're still going to recognize it as a sole, but the you know the front end they've adopted that that kind of trend that uh, we're seeing now on a bunch of different vehicles with the slim horizontal daytime running lamps and then the big um, headlights down below, you know, kind of like what you've got on the Kona and what we had on the pre, you know, the pre-refresh Jeep Cherokee and the Blazer and stuff like that. So it's got a a bit of a different look to it, a little more aggressive look, I think, uh, which is kind of cool. It's almost like um, like Land Rover-esque, you know, with the really the slid, as you say, like the very slitted daytime runnings. And, um, and it just looks great. The the rims that they've used on the tires, you know, they're all very distinctive. It has a lot of personality. And, you know, even I drove it down to Long Island this after today and coming back, you know, some rush hour traffic. But it was it was right there with me as I wanted to change the lanes and move over and stuff. And I got to tell you, so the one that I had was the X line. So that's, that's also what I had. So you, you get the, the faux, the faux SUV trim <laughs> added on. <laughs> but I mean, this thing was so loaded for 21,490, and it has almost no options to it. But it has Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, it has a blind spot collision warning, rear traffic. Uh, traffic collision warning lane change assist i mean it just it it had these terrific things you know the the android auto worked really really well in it and i just loved it it, it doesn't have any kind of you know the sound system is bad this it just has am fm it doesn't have um uh, radio uh, xm radio in it you know there's a couple things but overall it just it was such a great vehicle for $22,000. I was really, really impressed with it and just tons of fun to drive. Well, yeah, and, and a lot of those features like the, um, you know, the blind spot monitor, uh, Android Auto and CarPlay, that stuff is actually standard even on the base model for $17,000, right, right. right. So, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's mostly visual upgrades, you know, and, and a few other functional upgrades that you get in the X line as, as you go upstream. You know, one of the one of the cool design touches was on the inside on the door panels 
right by the the vents, you know, the, the uh, where the door handles yes. are. That that sort of it looks like um, it it looks like a quilted metallic finish, you know, trim panel on there. That it's it's really neat looking. Uh, you know, it's something unique that you don't see anywhere else, especially at this price point. Doesn't that well, also I, like illuminate <laughs> or something? I, uh, no, okay. no, not a, not on this one. Yeah, but you know what? They did such a nice job with that that because you're right, Sam. Those little features, and some people they try to do it, and it just looks like it's overdone. But there's there is a there's just enough restraint in this design to make it really really appealing and. And I'm going to be sad to see it go. I mean, it's just it's it's been a great vehicle. I'd love to drive the GT Line Turbo at some point in time. Yeah, that one has the more powerful engine, 100, and you know that that is a 201 horsepower. I think that'd be that'd be a lot of fun to drive as well. well. Yeah, that, that one six turbo is a great engine. Yeah. yeah, and that's always what the Soul has sort of uh, screamed for. You know, what's really interesting is. You guys are talking about the X line, which is sort of dressed up like an SUV kind of, and then you just talked about the the GT line, which you know has the the like the stripe along the lower rocker, and it looks a little bit more aggressive. It's got a honeycomb kind of grill, and so there's a lot of range among the models. You can just get the normal uh, LX or S, and and it's fine, and they all look good, like you said. Uh, what, what I also find interesting about the way they look is you completely ignore the large headlamps. Like the the way that the the parking and running lamps are styled, those grab your your eye, right? And yeah. they they look like headlights, and so you just completely forgive that there's this giant, you know, clear window, a couple inches down from that. It just it blends right in. You don't even it doesn't it doesn't shock you like maybe the the Cherokee did back in like 2012 or 2013 when we first saw it. Um, but there's there's a lot of they've expanded the the soul range you know now there's the turbo there's the gt line there's the sort of the lx the s and the ex and the x line that is dressed up like an suv not a not a one of them the ev don't forget oh that's right and there's the ev which has good range 240 miles of range like you said so yeah and and it's a 200 horsepower motor and not a one of them has all-wheel drive because it's not necessary <laughs> you know, and, and even, you know, the, the soul uh, uses the twist beam rear axle, which, you know, on paper, you know, it doesn't seem like much. But this is actually a really fun little car to drive. You know, it's yeah. Very responsive. I really like the way that they've tuned it. And now this is the third generation of the soul as well. So it's really hard when you come out with something that is as distinctive as that original soul that was like, I think it was designed after it was supposed to like inspired by a hedgehog or something, the way the greenhouse <laughs> was all like one piece and stuff. And, uh, it had this really fascinating story. It was basically like a napkin doodle that they turned into a car. Uh, and it's, we've watched Volkswagen struggle with that, with the new beetle, right? Like we've got this just design icon. Um, and how do you, how do you evolve it? And Kia has done a really good job at expanding the soul. It's a little bigger than it was. It certainly has more features, but it hasn't gotten bloated or passe. You know, they've kept it fresh. And that's really hard to do over three generations of a car. Yeah, uh, they've they've kept it so authentic. Like it still is what it started out to be. And I think that's part of the appeal is that they haven't tried to make it something that it it's not. And this is a really good example 
uh, whether you like, you know, I know that the SUV kind of thing, it still is a car, but this is a good example of how we can evolve cars into having the utility and the flexibility and the usefulness that people like in an SUV without actually having to go do an SUV. And I think also, you know, when I was thinking about, because we talked about the Kia Telluride that I had recently, just the, it's, it's just so impressive what Kia has done across the board, such a wide range of price points, but keeping it, still keeping it affordable. I, and, and, you know, one of the things I wrote in my, in my Telluride article was just that if you just, if you only think of Kia as a value brand, you're really doing it a disservice because there's, it's so much more than that. Yeah, I don't, they're not, they deliver good value, but that's not the only thing that they trade on. Exactly. Exactly. They, they make they make really good cars that also happen to be a good value now. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Whereas exactly. in the past it it used to be that they were cheap, and they were cheap, but now they're just <laughs> now they're really good cars that are you know that are excellent value. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, I'm, it starts at seventeen five. You can't really you can probably maybe crack thirty if you load up the options on the GT Line Turbo, but uh, that one is twenty seven. The, the EV will get you up over thirty. Okay. Yeah, the EV will get you over yeah. Um, so that's a really that's a narrow price spread too it's just it's in the thick of it it is like this is the hatchback that we used to have you know that right that people bought and now since they're not uh not fashionable that we need to call it something else but okay it's a box it's 101 yeah. cubic feet inside that's a mid-sized car right and, that's and a 20, C-segment 24 car. cubic feet of cargo space behind the seats that's huge in yeah. that in that footprint like yeah you know again it's gotten a little bigger than it used to be but it was it's always been yeah, not by much. Um, so yeah, I I have a deep affinity for the soul. <laughs> uh, I I like it a lot, um, and it, it sounds speaks, like you guys did too. It speaks to my soul. <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> well, so uh, I've been driving the new the new the new. I think it's the 2019 or 2020. I forget. Anyway, let me. I should look it up. But it's the new Nissan Altima with all wheel drive, um, and that's another car that. Uh, I've just been very impressed with, you know, some, some cars in the past, some of, some of the Altimas have not impressed me as much. They sort of drove sort of relaxed fit, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, this one is really, they've tidied up the styling. Sam, I did notice that weird sort of cut line of the hood where it, the gap opens up, right? As there's that radius at the edge of the hood that lines yeah, up. With one did of the you, body did cut you, lines. was it the same on yours as the one that I had? It it got a little wide as it went yeah. around that radius at the bottom of it, but yeah, you know, it's not it's not terrible. Um, I was looking for it, so I think if you're not looking for it, it's probably not going to bother you. Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's that's a pretty big gap. Well, I you know and it's, a, it's hard not to notice it every time you get in and out of the car. It's a thirty two thousand right dollar car. What do you want? I mean perfection. I mean come on, it's not like it's a Tesla. Hey. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, the soul has better panel gaps than that. Yeah. So that panel, that particular gap, I think, is just in a really tight place. Uh, It's it's just tough because they've combined a radius on the on the back corner of the hood along with that gap. So there's really no way to get that to behave, I think, you know, unless they change the way that the skin of the hood goes on and to get just a very accurate dimension there is really tough I and mean, you, I mean, you, you probably well, know more about it than the, I do but the the maxima has a very similar cut line 
it, you know, so the cut line, you know, is on the, on the side, the hood folds over. And if you look at the Maxima, it does not come out like that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's set up very similar to the Altima and it does not have that problem. Okay. I have not had a Maxima in a while, but, uh, so I, I'm trying to remember how impressed you were with it or not. Uh, you know, the, the Altima had gone through this period where it was like the rental special to me. It was just like, okay, it's a sedan. It has an engine and four doors and it's about as roomy as all the other sedans in its class. Uh, it's now, a great lift car. Yeah, exactly. It's got a big back seat. I've, 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 rid, I've ridden in a surprising number of them, you know, when I've been traveling. Uh, so what are they like from back there? Because I can't actually let somebody else drive it. So it's, I, it's, it's quite comfortable. Is it? it I mean, it is very roomy. It's yeah, very it's, roomy in the back seat. It, it, um, it, it feels like they've, they've finally found their, their groove with the, the Ultima after two successive generations where it sort of lost it a little bit and it got a lot more bland. It's, it's still not as beautiful and stylish and just sort of, uh, you know, it doesn't have the ability to warm an enthusiast heart like a Mazda six, but it, it looks good. You know, they've, they've crisped up the styling. The structure is noticeably more solid. It really, it drives very well. It, it rides well. It's got a lot of discipline in the, the body movements, uh, it, it feels strong. You don't don't notice a lot of twitching or steering column shake or anything like that. So it just doesn't feel like, hey, this is old hardware that we put a new top hat on. Like, no, this this feels like a car they've gone through because it is. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, it's it reminds me that even as we're ignoring the sedan segment, we've got a lot of really great sedans. And this is just a very good sedan. And it's got all-wheel drive, which I think makes it competitive. It sort of has a feature that not everybody else in the class does, at least that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what Ford's doing with the Fusion, but they're basically going to stop selling that anyway Nothing. at some point. So, well, yeah. keep, it, keep in mind, too, that the, I mean, the U.S. is ignoring sedans, but not the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. And, and I think that's what, what Nissan said was even in the U.S., you know, even with the sedans being off from where they historically were, there's still a few hundred thousand cars every year that you can sell in that yeah. market. So it's more than a few hundred thousand. It's yeah. more like close to two million. Is it really? <laughs> yes. just, is that in the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. Really? If you add so them all up, if you, you know, if you add up Camry Listen, and Altima and I don't do um, Accord and... I mean, <laughs> it's, it's actually it's probably closer to about one and a half million now. But. Okay, so that's a lot of cars. That's a lot of volume, um, and so they they feel like they can uh, they can make a go of it. And so they have a they have a good sedan for people who want sedans. Uh, the interior it looks really really nice. Um, I'm impressed with how they've they've designed it. The trim looks good. The materials look pretty good. There's a couple of areas where I thought it didn't look that great um the the trim around the the shifter in the center console actually just looks like they got some bulk piece of like plastic sheeting and cut holes in it and like yeah that's good enough uh, so there's a couple of areas of of cheapness or that, that feel cheap or look cheap i don't know how cheap they actually are um but you know this has this has beige perforated leather it's red on the outside it's just a fit and finish is very good other than that hood gap <laughs> Um, it, it, even the paint is pretty good, which has been an area where I've noticed on Altimus in particular, it, it hasn't been as good as some of the other competitors, um, where it almost looked like it was thin or just a lot of orange peel and stuff. And, and this, this, 
they've stepped it up with this car to, to really be a competitive sedan. The all-wheel drive it doesn't really do anything in the dry. It's not a performance-oriented setup. Uh, but it's going to help you in those climates where it snows, like here. Uh, that's that's a selling feature. So I expect that we're going to be seeing them push that uh, quite a bit. Uh, and the, the 2.5-liter four-cylinder is, God, that's a well-proven engine. It's kind of it's not. A, it's, it's extremely adequate. Uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely kind of wimpy. Um, and it, it, it's fine. And it's matched with the CVT, like around town. It's fine. The CVT multiplies torque off the line. It, 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 the nice thing about the CVT is that there's, there's no steps to the gear changes. So it, it actually makes the car feel that much smoother. Uh, the only time you feel that, that sort of stepping in the gear changes is when you really just plant your foot to accelerate hard. Then it'll do it to sort of mimic a, a geared transmission. Um, but yeah, I'm impressed with the Ultima. And I, I went into it thinking like, well, they've, they've cleaned up the styling. I really like the way it looks. You know, it's funny, even how the, just a simple thing, like they've, they've added an amber turn signal to the taillight. And there's a couple of cars that do that now. Like the Hyundai Kona is another one. And for maybe it's because I, I had my formative years in the eighties. <laughs> but when I see that sort of multicolored taillight, it just warm, it just excites me. I like it. So it's a simple geeky thing like that, but they've, they've done well with the, the Altima just in time for the bottom to drop out of the sand market. Like I said, so <laughs> no, there's still a lot of these. Uh, I think, um, it, it's, it's a pretty decent car. It's getting 32 miles to the gallon and I haven't, have not been driving it gently and I've put a bunch of miles. on. I put more miles on it than I normally do with a, a press car, just the amount of running around we've been doing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a decent car. It's infotainment kind of sucks though. That's I just I, I love the things that thrill you. It cracks me up. <laughs> you, I was, uh, I'm a very detail oriented kind of guy, you know. Like that's where the joy is. It's in the details. I, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so the two things that I sort of I can ding it for are the wimpy engine, which you're going to be able to get that the turbo in it at some point if you can't already yeah it's the that variable compression turbo from the infinity yeah. qx50 so that's going to be the first nissan with it i believe um yes so that should help in that <laughs> in that area uh, it's you know, like you said it's perfectly adequate it's 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 uh it's it's not a bad engine again 32 miles to the gallon is nothing to sneeze at in a car that's this roomy like you said it's got a big trunk it's got a good back seat uh the, the rear seat cushion is a little low when i did my test sitting um, so that may just be me though. I don't know. Different people are different shapes. So whatever, uh, try it out, see if it's comfy. The, the infotainment is confusing and kind of not great to use, uh, but I do like that it has physical controls for HVAC and the, the sort of like the oddest wrinkle I noticed was even with the AC off, if I have the temp control set to like 65 and it's warmer than that, for whatever I'm getting AC out of the vents, whether I have it on or off, it blows AC and that drives me bonkers because <laughs> I don't want it and I couldn't figure out how to shut it off. So I, that, huh. like it's like, like the things that thrill me are fascinating. I'm sure the things <laughs> that annoy me are equally fascinating. No, that is annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so does that sort of measure up with what I can't remember what your impression of it was? Or Yeah. I mean, overall it was, you know, it was fine. You know, it was, it was comfortable and, you know, drove well. You know, it was just, you know, a few minor annoyances like 
you know, you know, for whatever reason that that hood gap just drove me nuts. I don't know why, you know, uh, but, you know, for the for the most part, the rest of it was fine. I didn't have any real complaints about it. Yeah. I mean, if we're making those kind of nitpicky arguments, yeah, they've, they've done a pretty good job. So good for you, Nissan. And we specialize in picking nets. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I, I'm not sure that's something we want to actually specialize in because nits aren't nits like actually baby lice. Yeah, well, yeah. We, we don't have to go into those that level of detail. We're rambling. They're, they're yes. All right, carry on. Um, so uh, that's it for the cars that we've had as media loans. But Sam, you also drove the 2020 Explorer, and there's a lot riding on uh, that particular vehicle. Uh, we're, we're going from the unloved sedan market to the absolutely on fire SUV market. So how was it? It's very good. It's very, very good. Um, you know, the the Explorer is one of Ford's most important vehicles. I think it's their third best selling nameplate after the F series and the Escape, and it's far more profitable than the Escape is, um, and it'll probably be even more so this year uh, with some of the pricing changes. Uh, you know, so this is the first vehicle off of this new, you know, last year, about a year ago, Ford and Ford told us that they were moving, shifting everything to five flexible platform architectures, um, you know, with one of them being a unibody rear drive platform. And this is the first mod, first new vehicle off of that platform. So it's going from a front wheel drive based Volvo platform that dates back to the late 1990s to an all-new rear-wheel drive platform. Um, and the, the suspension architecture on this thing is actually very similar to what you'll find in a Mustang. You've got, you know, front strut setup and um, the integral link, uh, multi-link rear suspension. And it, it works really, really well. You know, this thing ha- gives you, the, the, the wheelbase is about six and a half inches longer than before, but the overall length is almost exactly the same. So you have um, much shorter overhangs, especially in the front. You know, when you look at this new Explorer and profile, there's almost no front overhang now, especially compared to the last one. And uh, the, the ride quality is vastly superior to what you had before. Um, you know, even on some bumpy roads, it did, you know, it, it gave you a nice supple ride, but it was also very well controlled. Uh, it, uh, everything about it worked really well. The powertrains now, you've got three, um, three, three major powertrain options. There's the base 2.3 liter EcoBoost, which is 310 horsepower now. There are two variants of the three-liter EcoBoost V6, uh, one at 365 horsepower for the Platinum, and then a 400-horsepower version for the ST. Um, I'm not going to talk about the ST right now because that, those impressions are still embargoed. Um, but the, uh, and then there's also the, the hybrid, which is a 3.3-liter V6 uh, with a hybrid, Ford's new modular hybrid powertrain, as they call it. And... This uh, modular hybrid, they're using the 10-speed automatic that's been that they've been putting into all their trucks and the Mustang over the past year or so. But what they've done is they've packaged in an electric motor in between the engine and the torque converter. And the way it's set up, there's a, a module that goes in there in the front of the transmission. So you can put in just a standard torque converter module for 
the, the non-hybrid options. You can put in modules with different length, uh, different size uh, motors on there, depending on the application. So, you know, we've got it now in the Explorer. Uh, there's going to be a plug-in hybrid version that comes on the Aviator uh, this summer. And then uh, next year, the F-150 and the Mustang are also getting hybrid versions, but using the same hardware. And the, the hybrid is not so much tuned for max fuel economy. Uh, we haven't got the final fuel EPA fuel economy numbers on it, but it's probably going to be based on what Ford has said about the range of the thing and the size of the fuel tank. It's probably going to work out somewhere around 28 miles per gallon combined, which is not as good as, as the uh, Toyota Highlander hybrid. But um, the 2020 Highlander uh, hybrid is actually switching from a V6 hybrid to a four-cylinder hybrid. And so it's going to be less powerful in this one. And uh, one of the things that Ford didn't want to do with their hybrid system on the utilities and trucks is give up a lot of capability. So the, the hybrid Explorer still has the ability to tow 5,000 pounds. And we tried it out, you know, they had, they, for the drive, uh, they had one hooked up to a 4,500 pound boat on a trailer, which took for a drive and it was, it felt pretty effortless. It, you know, it didn't, didn't have, uh, you know, it didn't complain at all. Um, of course, you know, fuel economy went down a little bit to about 10 miles <laughs> per gallon, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it was able to do it without struggling. Which well, yeah, is, I mean, I think nice. a hybrid actually like is ideal. If you're going to tow in a lot of ways because it has that electric motor. To, to uh, no, not so much. No? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it helps, you know, having that little bit of that bit of extra torque off the line. But, you know, when it, once you're underway, it doesn't really help you all that much. Um, it's more, um, you know, in city driving, you know, which is where increasingly most SUVs are being used, you know, for – urban and suburban commuting, that's where the hybrid's going to have a big impact. And, you know, they, we had, I drove it over a couple of different routes, you know, one route, you know, driving up from the, uh, we were in the Columbia River Gorge, you know, driving up the hills, you know, in, into the hills, that route, you know, it got about 21, 22 miles per gallon. When I took another route through town, you know, and gave, you know, more typical, uh, urban or suburban driving uh, with more stop and go, I got it up to about 27 miles per gallon. So, you know, that's that's pretty impressive for an SUV of this size. And, you know, one of the thing one of the things that changes with this one is even though it's about the same size, it feels bigger on the inside because uh, there's more glass area. The pillars are slimmer because they were, you know, using modern design techniques, they were able to uh, make it um, make the uh, you know the the all the pillars slimmer so you have better visibility out on the last explorer the a pillars especially were huge i mean they were really enormous and it made huge blind spots well, and, and that, that's say, that makes i'm sorry to interrupt you but that makes a huge difference for somebody that's my size that's shorter because i the closer that you move the seat the bigger that a pillar becomes you know it just it gets in your line of vision so quickly and so the fact that they can make that really narrow is a, is a huge benefit for smaller women. And yeah, then. no, that's, that, that's, that's absolutely true. And, you know, even, you know, I'm 5'11", and, you know, even for me, you know, I remember driving the, the previous Explorer, you know, it, it had some pretty massive blind spots, and that's much less of a problem this time around. Um, you know, one, one little, um, you know, 
very, very minor complaint. Uh, it's got, you know, as, as most uh, new cars do today, it has an optional uh, wireless charging pad for, for phone uh, that's at the, the back of the console. It's just below the, the center armrest, and it's angled at about a 45-degree angle. When you put your phone down in there, it's fine. You know, sits sits on there and charges up. But because of the way it's set up, every time you hit the brakes, your phone basically flops forward and flops off the charging pad. Most wireless charging pads are set up so they're horizontal. And so, you know, the phone stays on there. But this one, it, it flops forward, which is, you know, if they were going to do it that way, you know, they probably should have had some sort of little clip on there. So you slide it in there and it, it holds it in place on the charging pad. Um, but on the plus side, you know, couple, another little uh, kind of cool detail was when you switch the, the drive modes, the, uh, the terrain management system uh, between um, the various modes in the instrument cluster, the digital instrument cluster, it actually changes the graphic when you have adaptive cruise control turned on. Uh, you know how when, when you're in range behind another car, it'll show you an image of a car. Usually, most manufacturers either have a very generic graphic or they put a graphic of the same kind of car you're driving. So if you're driving an Altima, you'll see a graphic that looks kind of like an Altima. On this one, uh, on the when you put it into trail mode for off-road, the graphic shows up as, a, as the back end of a Raptor. When you put it into sport mode, it shows up as a Mustang GT. And when you put it in normal eco mode, it shows up as a Fusion. You see, that's cute. But why didn't they just make it look like a Explorer <laughs> at all times? Oh, I don't know. I, I thought it was a cute touch. No, I, I like it. I, I think it's but, amusing. Um, easily but, amused. You know, o o overall, you know, it, it, the thing, this thing drives really well, uh, which, you know, given the, the way it's set up, I, I would expect – and I'm really looking forward to trying out the uh, the Aviator uh, Grand Touring, which is the plug-in hybrid version uh, this summer, because that one's going to have way more power and torque than this one. It's 450 horsepower and 600 foot-pounds of torque. Um, but you know, this this is a very impressive vehicle, and I think it's a it's a pretty substantial improvement over the old one. Even though it does bear a very strong resemblance to the old one, it's really from a design standpoint, it's really more of an evolutionary design. Uh, but but they I think they did a good job on it. Well, the styling wasn't ever really the issue with the the outgoing Explorer. You know, I love that they've lengthened the wheelbase so much because the proportions get really cleaned up. Uh, on the new the new one, but it, it it looks it has that familiarity. But it looks good, and even the old Explorer looked kind of like a, uh, a Range Rover if you squinted at it. I just yeah. I remember when they both depending, came out. Depending on the, yeah, depending on the trim level, you know which type of grill it had on it. Yeah, it did have kind of that Range Rover look to it. Um, you know this this new one you know is a little bit less like that, which I think you know it's a little more distinctly Ford rather yeah. than Range Rover. It does look very Ford, which is in, in, in a good thing, in a good way, like a classically yeah. sort of Ford uh, design, which is, that's tough to do over the decades too. Just do something new that looks like it belongs in the family. And I'm really eager to try it out because the outgoing Explorer, A, it's been with us for so long. <laughs> and it was already and, and the platform on it was on was already old. You know, it's kind of, yeah. kind of like the Challenger and, and uh, Charger. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's an old vehicle that's on an even older platform. But does, does uh, it it continue to sell though? Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept it oh, around, yeah. right? Like yeah, it, I mean, it's it's been selling better than ever. You what know, the it, hell, people? <laughs> <laughs> 
So this this one should do should do just fine, um, especially you know they'll have more capacity now uh, since they're dropping the Taurus. They're still building it in the Chicago assembly plant. The one issue, uh, you know, the the one thing that might be a real concern though is pricing. Um, the old Explorer, there was a base model that started at about thirty two thousand dollars. The new one starts at the XLT trim level. At about thirty, uh, almost thirty-seven thousand dollars. I think it's at, it's at when the thirty-six with the destination, seventy-five. Yeah, with with destination, it's actually mm. thirty-seven seven. Sure. Um, so you know, and then when you go up to ST and platinum, uh, you know, platinum you can get it up to about you know over sixty thousand, mm. which is a lot of money for an Explorer. Even the the hybrid, uh, which you can get as either rear wheel drive or four wheel drive. Um, you, the hybrid starts on the limited, you can get it on the, the limited or on the platinum and on the limited, you know, it's the limited hybrid rear wheel drive starts at like $53,000. So it's, it's not inexpensive. Yeah. But you know, even back in the day, the, in the nineties, the Eddie Bauer Explorer sold like a gazillion and they were not cheap. They were the expensive version of the Explorer, you know, and, and they were, they were, ex- they were expensive for what they were. You look at yeah. it and you're like, eh, it's a fancy Bronco too, but uh, people bought them and then they wore out very quickly. <laughs> I hope this one doesn't do that. But so the Explorer has always had expensive variants, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but not, not quite this expensive. Well, well, and that base, that base price. Yeah, is, you know, that base price at, you know, at almost $38,000 with delivery, you know, is pretty steep. I yeah. have faith that if they can't sell them, you'll get them for less than that. Oh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. And, you know, I would not be surprised to see a new, you know, another base trim level come in below that, you know, the way they had it on the previous one. Uh, but, you know, the XLT and the Limited are expected to be the two, you know, the the, the comprise the bulk of the uh, uh, the sales of this thing with ST yeah. and Platinum, you know, being uh, relatively lower volume. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea anyway. It's just to, to launch with those two trims because those, yeah. I, I think Ford's quite right. I mean, they certainly know more than we do about it anyway, but uh, they have all the metrics, but XLT and Limited seem like where people are going to buy. Generally, they're not going to buy the XL, right? And the, the Limited is going to be... And there is no XL on this one. Right. And I'm just, you know what I'm thinking of like F series trim levels is sort of what yeah. they correlate to. Right. So the XL is like fleet only for an F series for the most part, or like cheap skates. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, well, or, it's mostly the commercial buyers. Yeah. Or if you just need it, if you just need the, the sort of basics and you, you don't need the fancy stuff, the XLT is a little nicer, you know, it still has probably still has like cloth seats, but it's, it's dressed up a little bit. It's got um, it, it, a few more features and it's, the yeah, sort gra- of- granted, there you know, there's a lot of stuff you know in the XLT, even the base XLT. You yeah, know, it's, you've you've got you know things like the Copilot 360 uh, ADAS stuff, power lift gate, the eight inch touchscreen, uh, you know, eighteen inch wheels. All that stuff is standard equipment, even on the XLT. So you're you're getting a lot. It's just you know if you need something that's a little more affordable, this probably isn't the vehicle for you. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, interestingly, I was thinking back to the Kia Telluride. So that starts at 32000 but there's a really nicely equipped, the EX is 
$90. So it's yep. just right. over and, and this 37 is, this, this is one of the conversations a bunch of us were having last week was yeah. comparing this to the pricing of the Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade, you know, which are going to be, you know, in the same size class. Right. Uh, you know, and they are, they're available at a considerably lower price point. Yeah. So I'm actually driving the Palisade this coming, uh, I leave for that tomorrow morning or Tuesday. So this week I'll be driving that. Yeah. Well, you'll have to report back next yes. week. And, and so I'll report know. back next week. But yeah, that's a, that pricing is, uh, the pricing can definitely, will, will quickly price people out. There's a lot of competition in that space. So Sam, how was this, how was the access to the third row? It was actually pretty good. It was surprisingly okay. good. The, the second row seats, you know, fold and, and slide forward. And I, I climbed into the back of into the third row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you're sitting fairly low, you know, kind of a, a knees up uh, position, mm-hmm. I, I had sufficient, you know, I had sufficient leg room back there to, to sit comfortably. Okay. And then how was the stop, stop start the yeah, it, that. it was not really noticeable at all. Oh, that's great. Um, you, know, on, you know, on this rear wheel drive setup, you know, it's far less obtrusive than it, ha- than it typically has been on a lot of front wheel drive stuff. Um, you know, I, I drove the the um, the base 2.3 liter version, uh, the hybrid and the ST and in any of them, you don't really notice the stop start at all, and especially on the the hybrid. You know, one of the things a couple of months ago, I did a story on the NVH efforts that uh, Ford put into the the new Explorer, and you know that's that's another thing about this one. It is really really quiet. You know, it's a very uh, you know a very serene place to spend time. You know, it's almost Lincoln like, uh, which is you know is good because you really don't notice the transitions at all in the hybrid between, you know, running in electric mode and uh, running with the engine on, you know, it's, it all just kind of flows together. That's lovely. Uh, I'm I'm looking, I hope I get a chance to drive it as well. That'd be cool. Uh, We're all going to get a chance to drive it. I mean, this, this, it has to win for Ford in, in some ways, you know, there's a lot riding on it and they've, they've, you know, the, the difference between, the refinement that you feel um, going from a front drive transverse architecture to the longitudinal rear drive with a frame, I think that does two things for the Explorer. A, it sort of cleans up that NVH quite a bit. You know, that was one of my criteria. Well, this we is a shopping. unibody. It's not. It's not a body on. Oh, frame. I thought I had. I thought I had a frame. Okay. No. So, I mean, you know, all, all unibodies have some framework down there, but it's not. It's yeah. not a separate frame. Okay, so it's like subframes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it. it the longitudinal powertrain to me, like I feel like you don't feel the driveline lash, you know, which in a front wheel drive car with a transverse engine, you feel uh, that a lot more, you can feel the lash where the engine, you know, rolls on its mounts and it's rolling, you know, front to back. So sometimes that's discernible. It certainly was in our old Volvos. And so I was like, nope, when we're shopping, we're going to get a longitudinal engine that drives the <laughs> rear wheels. Or, <laughs> and, and it makes a difference. You know, it, 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 it really uh, – it does, it, does, it does significantly improve refinement. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize it, has, it doesn't have a frame. But, uh, it, you know, the – I think even just rear wheel drive probably helps you out with that towing capacity too. Um, oh, yeah, it, it absolutely does. So those are those are two big things. You know, those are the way people so, use their SUVs. Yeah. 
They, yeah. They so with, with with the with the hybrid, you get five thousand pounds. With the the two three EcoBoost, the base engine, you get fifty three hundred pounds. And with either of the twin turbo V sixes, you get fifty six hundred pound capacity. Wait, with the with the four cylinder EcoBoost, you get fifty three hundred pounds. Yeah, that's good. Now you know, I mean that that's you know that's not going to you know compete with a Grand Cherokee with a V eight. You know, which can tow, you know, 7,800 pounds. Yeah, 7, yeah. But, you know, for, for most people, you know, 5,000 pounds is plenty. Well, and it competes with the V6 Grand Cherokee, which tows 5,000. Yeah. And uh, it's going to suck fuel doing it. Yeah. Where I think the um, the 4 may actually feel a little more confident, the Turbo 4. Because oh, absolutely. Because it delivers torque. So that, yeah, that's impressive. That's, that's a small engine for that kind of capacity. Yep. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, we saw there was the, 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 the Hummer. I saw this today and I was like, <laughs> you know, do you remember back in, I'm sure you remember back in like, was this like 2006 or 2007, the H2 was so offensive to people and it was just, and it was the popular thing, right? It was like the Tesla of its day. Uh, stars had them, um, people bought them as a status symbol. They were just this look at me vehicle. Arnold. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he had an H1. Oh, our, our, he had the H1. Yeah. yeah. Um, he had but, the real Hummer. Yes. Uh, the faux Hummer. The, you know, then they were certainly like, they were in bright yellow all the time. The big H2s and you'd see them in traffic and you're like, you're commuting in essentially a heavy duty pickup and that's gross, but whatever. The bottom fell out of the economy, and we had a fuel crisis. Uh, yeah, not a crisis, but a fuel a fuel price crunch, and uh, Hummer went away because GM went bankrupt. And uh, now there's talk of bringing it back, but electric this time. And I hate to say it, but I I think that it's not a terrible idea. I mean, this would be GM's answer to Rivian. And like, and yeah. to what what Tesla wants to do, you know, with their pickup. Well, what is Tesla promising with their pickup? Today? Elon's promising some sort of cyberpunk electric pickup that has the performance of a Porsche 911 and the capability of an F-150. Uh, OK, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I, I don't know, like, A, I'm not as offended by I was never as offended by the H2 as I think um a lot of people were. I, I think it's actually a really well done um, application, not application, but it's a really well done interpretation of the H1 onto consumer hardware. You know, looking at it now, like, yeah, they really got the essence of the H1 onto something that's that's not the H1. You know, it's, it's, it is, I think it was basically like a, a mix of, of Tahoe and uh, heavy-duty heavy range pickup pieces that went under it. Um, but, you know, it, it's an iconic look still. You know, they could bring it back and it would be kind of like Jeep, right, with, with the Wrangler. People are just going to know it's a Hummer and they're not going to have known that it went away for like a decade. I, I, it's, it's not offensive. I, they could pull it off, I think. I... I... <laughs> I just I'm thinking about people that are coming into the marketplace and I guess it would depend upon the volumes that they were looking at as well. But, you know, this isn't necessarily a brand that resonates with across the board. I mean, I guess it would all depend upon the volumes that they're planning on. 
Yeah, I, but you don't, nec- you don't necessarily need something that resonates across the board. Uh, no, know, but I, I wanna, guess it's you want to get a certain enthusiast audience for it. Right. It's very polarizing. You know, yeah. I think and I think it's a brand that uh, that people either love it or they hate it. And, and that's hard. That's part of the fun. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that Hummer to this day has in its favor is that it's instantly recognizable. It's su- it's such a bold statement of a brand that it, you know, wears its brand on its sleeve. It doesn't look like anything else um, that they can they can sort of just they can put it out there and it, people are going to know what it is. It's going to be co- whether or not they connect with it right away they're going to form an opinion of it. The same as people have opinions of Tesla. Like you're saying your, your niece points out Tesla's right. Uh, same, same kind of thing. It's just going to pop up in traffic and people are going, they're going to take notice and then it's, they're either going to love it or they're going to hate it yeah, or they're going to talk about it. Can, but can you, can you imagine the reaction from Nissan leaf drivers when they pull up to a charging station and see one of these parked there <laughs> plugged in? That's awesome. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's, it's really kind of, it's fun and entertaining. And when I saw it this morning as well, I just, I just kind of started to laugh, but it's, it's something that, that can't be dismissed out of hand because Sam, you're right. There, this is, this is GM's answer to Rivian and, and Rivian's getting a ton of attention. They haven't sold a single product yet, but they're getting a ton of attention. Yeah. And by yeah. attention, I mean money. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, they're getting investment. And it was, but that's the thing between that's the difference between GM's challenge with automaking where they they can't bleed red for too long um, versus a startup where like your whole point is to bleed red until you get bought and then you're, you're trying to 10x your investment. So it, those are slightly different challenges. Um, I, I, I it's a lot of expense to go through. They can't just like take it out of mothballs. Like it's going to have to be an all new vehicle, um, even if it shares a lot of the styling. Well, but you know they they are working on an electric pickup truck. You know, um, Mark Royce, you know, said this last week when I, or the other week when I was in New York. Uh, Mary Barra said it. Yeah, so they're they're developing an electric pickup truck, which means that they're going to have a platform which can likely be fairly easily adapted with just a new top hat. You, know, you throw a, a Hummer looking top hat on the thing and you've got because that's all that's all the H2 was, was, yeah. you know, a, a top hat on the uh, on the CK pickup truck. Yep. That, and, and you've got the dealer network. I mean, they don't need to do a whole new separate yeah. dealer network. Right. So. And, and, and the biggest issue with anybody making an, uh, uh, an EV and we've seen this with very good EVs like the Jaguar I-Pace um, is that. They just don't have that cachet. They they haven't created enough demand or interest. And so something as brash as a Hummer could do that for GM where they've struggled, you know, against the smaller, more niche kind of, uh, you know, cool kids brand um, of uh, the like Teslas and, and other sort of startups. So, yeah, I mean, they haven't made they, they haven't made the argument for electric vehicles on a mainstream basis, that they are better than an internal combustion engine, that they solve some some problem out well, there. Because they like when you start they, to talk about it, they they only sort of solve problems. Like you're still buying a car that took iron ore and energy to create and paint but, with well, its I, volatile I think, organic compounds. The thing I, is, I, th- this, I think as as cars go, you know, modern EVs are they're fine. You know, I, I don't. Yeah, I think that they solve, you know, for most consumers, they solve the same problem as any other car. 
the problem they haven't yet solved is the the cost problem. That's why people aren't buying EVs. Well, that's well, no, why people but there, aren't but buying. But there's a variety of reasons, like that they're 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 not. People are willing to pay for products that are better than what they have today. I think they're also willing to pay for products that aren't better than what they have, but, but, but are perceived. But you've also got you also have a situation where a brand like Hummer is so polarizing, right. is so out there. And early adopters are people that want that kind of ridiculousness, if you Absolutely. will. Absolutely. Like that, that I paradox, agree. Right. Like, and, so, uh, so this is why I do think that this this could actually be a lot of fun and be really good because yeah. early adopters could go after this, regardless of whether it's electric or not. Yeah, well, and I think we saw this before with the H two, and and I think it's it's part of the part of the the mentality or the the um, some of the some of the attitude of some of the folks who do buy uh, the Model S and the Model Three is just it's just it's a middle finger to the rest of the world. And so, yes. <laughs> you know, the H two definitely was the the Teslas are a little bit less of that. They're they're more of a like yes, I have the fancy thing. Check out my Manolo Blahniks while you're at it. Like, or, or whatever. I don't know. They don't make men's shoes. So what, uh, I don't know. I, you know what? Maybe they do. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> they, they, it, it's, a, it's a thing to be seen in and it makes a statement. And I think that there's a lot of people that like to thumb their nose at the world and the, the H2 could do that. And, you know, GM could certainly uh, teach the rest of the industry uh, a lot about the, the having you know dealership support sales and service or they could completely whiff and screw it up in a spectacular fashion so i'm on the fence about that one but uh i, I think if if i were going to 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 place money on it and, and have them be successful uh it, it it would be yes they they'd succeed at it they'd manage to not alienate their customers and we've, I, we've seen that customers will put up with a lot <laughs> Well, I would love to see them do the classic, bring back that classic Hummer. If they're going to bring it back, they have to bring back the brand. And it just happens to be electric. Right? Like, that's the thing, is that you want it to look like the Hummer. You want it to be square. It has to look like that. Oh, and this just happens to be electric. So that, I think, would be. Yeah, definitely needs to look tough. Right. Um, and, you know, with Ford bringing back the Bronco, you know, and you've got Jeep, you know, with its, you know, still classic look, it, it would make sense to have, you know, for GM to have something, you know, in that competes with those. Well, they've been talking right. about it for years with GMC, trying to do something Jeepy with GMC, like Wrangler, like yeah. GMC. They just haven't managed to. <laughs> um, I will say, we'll, we'll, I, I think it's a cool rumor and I'm I'm pleased that it exists. But, <laughs> they they need they need to uh, to dig up the the uh, CAD files for the H3X. You remember that concept that they showed in two thousand eight, right? Um, you know, right before the bottom fell out. Vaguely, I'm, I'm it, it was it, it was a Wrangler know, right? sized it was a Wrangler sized Hummer. Okay, and uh, you know they could just revive that, put an electric powertrain under it, and be off and running. I, I mean I think that's fine. I they're gonna they're gonna have some some engineering they have to do, I think, to uh make it meet all the crash regs and pedestrian safety regs and stuff like that now. But 
uh, I, you know, when you start with a vehicle that's supposed to be a square, I think that's a good place to be. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was just it was just the HX concept, the not, HX. not H3X. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me look. Let me look. Uh, oh yeah, I remember that. See, that would be cool. It's got a little yeah, fastback to it. Shunk and I did a video about it at uh, GM Design. Yeah, I I like it. I yes, that has my stamp of approval. Go go make it. Make it electric. <laughs> go forth um, and multiply. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, hey, last week or the last time we did a podcast, I had mentioned that uh, FCA as their, their deal with Renault sort of fizzled, although that seems to sort of be like every now and then it shows a pulse. Um, there's there's sort of more drips and drabs of news about that. But, or is that uh, just a dead cat bounce? It might be a dead cat bounce. Hey, um, hey, hey, hey. No, 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 <laughs> nothing about dead cats. Um, <laughs> they can be delicious if they're prepared by tarragon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, but the, the company that I mentioned that FCA sort of jumped right into partnering with was Aurora. And it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't for EVs. It was for, um, autom- automated driving. And Aurora seems to be the bell of the ball with, uh, not only FCA, but, um, Hyundai, and Volkswagen as well, I think. Well, like Volkswagen's out now. Okay. Um, so Aurora, you know, is a company that was started by Chris Ermson and Sterling Anderson. Uh, Chris was the um, head of the Google self-driving car project up until 2016. And um, Sterling Anderson was the original director of the autopilot project at Tesla. And uh, uh, Anderson left Tesla um, after disagreements with Elon um, no. Chris decided <laughs> to strike out on his own from Waymo. Um, and along with um, um, blanking on the third co-founder's name right now. Uh, but the, the three of them started up uh, Aurora as, you know, as a company to develop automated driving systems. They don't intend to, to build vehicles, but they're, you know, they want to build the full system um, and work with manufacturers to, you know, to integrate it on their vehicles. So back at CES 2017, 2018, 2018, um, <clears throat> they, they made, they announced that they were working with Volkswagen and with Hyundai on, uh, on programs to develop, uh, you know, Aurora's system on, on those vehicles. And, uh, Volkswagen has now ended their relationship with, uh, Aurora, which is believed to be in part because of, uh, you know, they're apparently, you know, potentially pending uh, hookup with Ford and Argo for autonomous vehicles. And Hyundai, on the other hand, has just joined the latest investment round, the latest uh, funding round for Aurora, uh, putting in an undisclosed amount of cash for an equity stake in Aurora. Uh, and then FCA has signed on, you know, as one of the the companies just working with Aurora, you know, as, as a customer essentially. And Aurora's they acquired Blackmore, the lighter company they, as well. Right. They, yeah, they, a couple of weeks ago they acquired Blackmore, which makes a very interesting kind of lidar. Uh, it's a frequency modulated lidar, which is a little bit different from most of the other lidars out there. So without getting too deep into it, uh, like what is what is how does that difference work? So the 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 main difference is most lidars uh, send out laser pulses, so brief pulses, and it measures time of flight. So each pulse it measure measures how long it takes to go from the sensor to bounce off something and come back. Right. And so with from that you can gather the the distance to that object. 
And then from looking at subsequent pulses, you can calculate the velocity of that object. Well, what Blackmore's sensor does is it actually does a continuous beam of LiDAR. And it's frequency modulated, which means that not only does it give you, so it's using a Doppler effect. So it gives it, it's works more like radar than than lidar or than other lidars. So it, you know, each, each beam uh, gives you both the distance and also an instantaneous velocity because it's measuring um, it's, it's measuring the Doppler effect in that in that continuous beam. So you get the speed of at each point in that point cloud that it generates, um, which is you know gives you a little more accuracy. When when I went for a demo ride with the lidar guys about or with the Blackmore guys around here about a month ago. Um, you know, we were driving down the street and you could actually see, you know, as it was detecting a pedestrian walking down the street, the, the, um, the display was showing the, um, it was color coded for the, for the velocity of all the objects it was detecting. So it would detect the speed of the pedestrian? You could, well, not only could detect the speed of the pedestrian, but you could also detect the difference in speed of the pedestrian's legs as they, as he was walking. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. That's pretty yeah. good. And when, you know, when we were sitting at an intersection, you know, a car turning in front of us, you could see the difference in speed between the body of the car and the rotating wheels. Oh, that's that's yeah. fun, and so and that's that's helpful because if you know what the speed of the other stuff around you is, you can predict its path, right? And so you can. Well, it, it's it's it helps to predict its path, but one of the other cool things you can do, one of the problems that you know they've had with lidar is, you know, for example, if it's snowing or raining, you know, those pulses bounce off of uh, off Everything. of a snowflake or a raindrop, <laughs> yeah. and you know, if you remember back in the old days before we had digital TV, when you tuned. You know, t- tuned your TV to a channel where there was no station, you got the snow effect. Well, that's what it looks like, you know, to a LiDAR beam, a LiDAR sensor when it's raining or snowing around you is each of those pulses can bounce off the, 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 the uh, raindrops well, uh, or snowflakes. One of the cool things with Blackmore's LiDAR, because it gives you an individual or an instantaneous uh, speed, you can actually you know, each time it hits a raindrop or a snowflake, you can measure the speed and direction of that snowflake or raindrop, and you can characterize that and actually recognize if what you're de- because because of the way it's moving, you can recognize oh that's a raindrop. I'm going to filter that out. So, and so, so you can, like noise you can start reduction. To, yes, it's it's like a really fancy noise reduction, so you can huh. see through the rain or snow. That's impressive. That's crazy. Yeah. That's that's pretty that's pretty and, and that's and that's one of the things that Aurora has now. They own that technology. Wow. So it's really interesting though that they don't I mean I I there had to be one company at least that doesn't want to build its own damn car. So that's good. So they essentially want to be a supplier, but doesn't that also make their job a lot more difficult cuz they've got to develop this technology and then adapt it and scale well, it to whoever's well, the, buying. The the way the way they're doing it, you know, and the way they're doing their deals with their OEM partners is uh, Aurora is defining the the reference platform, defining the the specs for the system. So they'll say, here's the software, here's the compute platform you need to use, here's what the sensors need to do. And then they will work with the, the the OEM to um, you know to integrate that on their vehicle. But they Aurora is actually defining what the system is going to be. 
Okay, but the, then the OEM goes and gets the parts. So they can use their massive yeah. scale to get cheaper sensors. And exactly, cheaper, yeah. Uh, uh, that's clever. Yeah. It's, it's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so the FCA is going to get their sort of, they're going to buy their way into self-driving with this. Yeah, and, you know, I think in the long term, that's probably what most automakers are going to do is buy their way in rather than developing their own because it's so it's so expensive to develop this technology and it takes so many resources to do it that it's, it's not really worth it for most companies to develop their own. I mean, you know, I've, I've said this in other places, you know, when I started working on ABS systems in 1990, when I graduated, you know, there were like 15 companies making ABS systems, including a couple of car makers building their own today. There's five, you know, yeah. that are doing it, uh, five suppliers that supply the entire industry. And, you know, 10, 15 years from now for autonomous driving, it's going to be the same thing. There's probably going to be five or six companies that supply the automated driving systems to everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. That's, that's how it goes. Yep. Um, all right. Last thing. Uh, I saw this and it was just sort of like from the common sense file. Um, Mazda has committed to ditching touchscreens from their cars and the stuff that they talk about, like I said, in the there was a piece by Motor Authority that I was reading, and you know the the quotes from the Mazda guys were just hilarious because I've noticed the same thing. Like when you a it takes a ton of attention to use a touchscreen, and when you actually go to use it, you're you're looking and you're applying a bit of torque to the steering wheel because you turn your body and you're using your right hand to touch the screen, so you're holding the wheel with one hand, and as you turn you can imperceptibly turn the steering wheel. And so you, you've you now set the car on a course to crash into stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, but, yeah. And, I mean, and, and some of us you know, have been saying on just about every other episode of the show, you know, for the last two and a half years that, you know, touchscreens are a terrible idea. They're a terrible user interface for cars. Do, do, I, don't, I don't like touchscreens either. Rebecca, do you like touchscreens? I do. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> do you like them while you're driving? I do. I mean, because you end up fumbling. If you have the dial, you end up fumbling and looking over there anyway. I mean, I, I, my, I prefer a voice recognition system that works well. Okay. That's, that's always my first choice. Those, those are fun when they work well. I've, when they I've, work well. Yeah. But I've been changed putting, by ones that don't work well. Well, just putting in an address sometimes is incredibly frustrating yeah. because some, you know, some systems need the, they want the city first. Some wants the entire address first. Some wants a state first. Like there's a lack of consistency with something as simple and generic as putting in an address. So I find a sense of relief when the screen is a touch screen. So I can just quickly glance over. Now I, I, if, as I said, like even with the NSX, we pulled over right away because we weren't, the vehicle was not interacting properly with us. Right. And I've well, done that on multiple occasions. Right. But, and and most, most voice recognition systems suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Google Assistant in Android Auto works really well. And you can, you can do that. You can, you can enter, uh, you know, an address pretty much any way you want, you know, and Google will will generally figure out where it is you want to go and and pull that up. If you right. have if you have an LTE or a Wi-Fi connection, though, right? Like it, if you uh, don't. No, I mean, it'll, it'll work on 3G. 
I'm just saying, basically, if you have a data connection, if you're a place oh, yeah. where like data That's, doesn't work, yes, that is, that is true. And you know, there are a lot of places where data doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just feel like I. I mean, again, I'm I'm very disciplined. And so if it's that's my preference is to have the option of a touch screen. Yeah, no, I, I, I can I can get behind that. And there because there are some cars where I've just like I've tried to use the little controller scheme. And I've just been like, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> I'm going to poke at the screen. Well, right. You know, I'm, exactly. I'm, I've got the Mazda three right now, you know, and I, I find the, the controller setup works really well, even with Android Auto. So, you know, if I'm putting in an address, you know, I'll do that by voice, but, you know, for just, you know, going around the screen, you know, to, you know, pause or play or, or fast forward, you know, or change the volume, you know, I like having that dial right there. Well, that's and, what, you know, Honda obviously learned their lesson from that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've never seen anybody cheer so much when everyone heard that Honda was bringing the volume dial. Right, the volume knob <laughs> back. Um, but the, the the way Mazda does it is really interesting because, like you say, like you're looking at the screen anyway, and that's true, even with the little dial knob. But after a day or so, I find that you you don't have to look at – you're not looking down f- to find the knob. You find it by feel, and then you look at the screen, which is higher on the dash and further away from you in the Mazda because they've, they've set it to – to be that way they they actually want you further from the screen so you don't have to refocus your vision and the with the screen sort of up there on the dash you're you're closer to seeing the road so you'll see movement in your periphery so that all seems to make sense and once you learn how to navigate the mazda system and not everybody likes it i i understand that um it it does become a, well, the, a little the system bit in the new three is has been redesigned the interface has been redesigned and it works much better yeah but it's like um, iDrive. I think about iDrive or MMI. You know, those those are both sort of knob-driven systems, and, yeah. and they, they work pretty well. Um, although although Audi's moving away from it too, they're moving to touchscreens. Yeah, so, which I is unfortunate. Be, I think you know what I think it would be really interesting to see. Uh, you know how they've done like some of the um, insurance safety um, companies and such have done where they follow the eye tracking and they follow to see how people drive like when even if they're on the phone where your brain is still occupied by your phone call i think it'd be kind of interesting to see some videos of an eyeball tracking to see what is more distracting is a touch screen more distracting or is one without a touch screen that you're using this dial yeah and, and you know and and going through the menus and such i think they're both i i think you're on to something because they're, they're probably both a distraction um and and so i will continue to say that i don't think screens at all belong in cars but uh i think the the having a separate controller uh it it makes it a little bit more intuitive to use so you're you're not devoting as much time to it and you can do some things by I think, feel I, I think it does take less cognitive effort but but I, to, I yeah to, to use the controller than a touch screen. But I, I would be interested to know, and uh, because I think I think you're right, they still it's still a distraction. It's maybe just a lesser distraction. I don't know. We'll- yeah, so and so funny, Sam, because I think that it's much more cognitively uh, taxing to use the dial. Whereas just giving a touch screen, I can just I can just touch it and then I'm done with it. But, <laughs> well, and except, this is, except that you have to focus on hitting a specific touch point. 
But she stops. She said she stops. She's disciplined about it. I just barrel right the hell forward. Well, but, but, <laughs> on, but some of the dials, though, you have to you still have to look back at the screen to make sure that you're as the dial is moving through. Yeah. That's, the that's menu, yeah. you know, you've got right, to make but, sure but that gla- glancing at the screen and it, versus, uh, you know, and, and just twisting the knob, it, the, it's, it's actually touching the screen that it's not the looking at the screen, but it's actually f- focusing on trying to hit those touch targets with your finger as you're driving and, you know, and your arm is cantilevered out and, you know, tends to bounce around a little bit as you're, as you're going down yeah. the road, the effort that it takes to actually hit a touch target on the screen with your finger versus the effort to just twist the knob and push. Um, you know, it, it's, I find it to be a much more precise control mechanism that is also, you know, that, that requires less effort on my part to do. I think that we need to have a touch knob off event. <laughs> But I think we need to rename it. Before <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's the idea. It's the seed of an idea. It's okay. We'll get the marketing people on it. Um, but, but no, I, I do think you're right. A, I do think they're all distractions, and that's why I don't think they belong in the car. And there, are, people have preferences in the way that they put information into to systems. So I don't like talking to machines, but I agree um, with Rebecca that that's that's probably if the system is good, that's, that's probably the the way to keep your eyes on the road and get the system to do what you want more than any other way. Uh, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work as well. Um, in a lot of cases. So, right. Uh, the sort of next best or least worst is possibly the higher screen with the uh, control knob. And then you go from there to, you know, the, like the, the, the Acura or Lexus systems where now they have the, the sort of touch pads. Those are okay. Lexus used to have the little mouse. The, Ac- the Acura okay. is much better than the Lexus. Um, okay. I haven't spent that much time with the, I think I only had it in one car. Um, and it, it I, takes, it takes a little getting used to. Well, and even the Acura, the, in the RDX in particular, I remember really struggling with that system and, yeah. and really, and having a hard time with it. They they tried to explain it to me. They're like, and I remember it's like a the the whole, it's not like a mouse, like a touchpad on your your laptop. It's like a it's a representation of the screen, and it took it took me a little while to to figure yeah. it out. And but I still don't, and I still don't understand BMW's gesture things because all my gestures are inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to hate that, and then uh, some of I've just. I really like it because it's it's funny. You think, well, that's that's you know, like you're going to twirl your finger and it's going to turn the the audio up and down. And you think, well, you could just reach out and, and turn the knob. You you could. That's true. But it's it's this, it seems more seamless when you just twirl your finger around and it does the thing. Like it for for whatever reason, I actually I like some of that. I I I don't like like the multi swipes. Like I turn a lot of that off, so I'm not doing like three finger swipes and stuff on my. Um, on my laptops. But, uh, in that instance, I think BMW is trying with gesture controls. I think it's, it's another interesting way to get information into the system because that's, you know, they've got the handwriting recognition too. Like there's more than one way to put stuff into the system. And, uh, even, even the ones that can take, uh, a partial 
address. Because there are some that you can't use the nav unless you have the whole address. And sometimes I just want to know how to drive to a particular town. I don't need a street. I don't need any of that. I just tell me how to get to the town and I'll figure it out from there. Yes. Well, the, um, with the BMW gesturing, all I end up actually doing is the off. scene from When Harry Met Sally where he says, what are you saying that they fake orgasm? And he goes through the whole motion. <laughs> <laughs> and I just end up doing that and getting really frustrated with it. <laughs> uh well, yeah, I think you need a certain level of dexterity in the BMW, too. All right. Um, we should just leave it there. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm glad that that Mazda is sort of just doubling down on its commitment to, to driving. Driving matters is what they say, right? That's right. That's, yeah. what, that's what my license plate frame says. So I, I think that's that's they're putting their uh, infotainment system where their mouth is. And that, that's great. So um, hopefully they refine the system so that Rebecca likes it. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be worse. It could just be an AM radio, right? Or one of those like in-car phonographs that skips. Or FM only like BMW has where they don't even offer AM. Really? They don't put AM in their cars? Yeah. I know know Tesla doesn't because of interference problems between the electrical system and the – and AM radios. You know, yeah, BMW I, doesn't have AM in their vehicles. Doesn't matter who more. listens to AM radios. No, no, no. For both of those brands, I bet a good half of the buyers listen to crazy AM talk radio with the commercials about buying gold and whatever else. <laughs> like I, I guarantee you, especially Teslas. Well, I know Tesla's gotten a lot of complaints about the fact that there's no AM radio in their cars. Yeah, but you can stream it. You just use like tune in, right? And yeah. You can stream AM, but it doesn't sound the same. AM AM has to be AM, and it has to you have I mean, to, it has to sound broadcast. like has to sound terrible. Yeah, it has to be bandwidth limited because that you know it's, that's well, just how it's w, supposed to be. Like WWJ in Detroit, that's an AM station, right? Yeah. I mean, at, yeah. Least, at least it is out in New York here, and um, WCBS, and there's it's really good traffic information yeah. and on the eights so. traffic and weather yes. on the eights. Yes, and we've got ten ten wins news and all sorts yeah. of good stuff. <laughs> uh, and I bet, I bet right now in Greenwich, you could probably pick up WWJ because it's nighttime and it's clear, and so you could probably get it off the skip off the ionosphere. I. I-
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.